Hello, everybody. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here to talk to you about how you reinvent yourself. What do you do if you are a editor and a writer and a digital content specialist and you find that eh, it's not like juicing you anymore? What do you do? Well, Alexis Marcel decided that she was just going to say yes to different things that came up for her in her life. And one thing she heard about was going to live on an Irish farm and learning to cook there. And it, and it kind of stuck in her head as a young, youngish um, editorial person at various magazines like Elle and Harper's Bazaar and Mirabella and InStyle. And she squirreled away some money. And when it got to the point where she decided she just had to do something different, luckily she didn't have children and a husband and blah, blah, blah. She was younger than that. And she decided she was just going to go to Ireland to this cooking school for three months. And so she left everything behind. She rented out her apartment and she used that money to put herself into the tuition of the cooking school. And she did it. And from then on, she flipped it so that her old life, digital know-how in the publishing sphere, was her way of earning money and supporting her real interest, which was learning to be a bread ninja. And then eventually she learned how to do cookbooks, and especially in the Instapot and air fryer area. And so this is really a story about how you flip your support system over so that it can support the new thing that you're really interested in. So what's good is you're going to get some real specific tips on how you can do that. And also, I love that her mantra is just say yes. And I will tell you that's a mantra that I've lived with my whole life too, is even if you don't know how to do something, say yes. When someone offers you something that interests you, if you can swing it, because you never know where it's going to take you. So here is Alexis Marcel and talking about the wild ride of her life and where saying yes took her. So good morning, Alexis. So nice to see you. Good morning. So I have to say, I was looking at your, uh, your LinkedIn and our common ground of publishing and looking back at some of the names in publishing that you and I had crossed over in. And it's like all that life just is gone. You know, it's <laughs> so sad. I don't know if you feel that way, but all these fabulous names I was, you know, thinking of just you know, all that stuff that we've spent so much time and so much heartache on. And then they're all gone because change happens. So I'm so glad to have you here to talk about your new life and what you do. Thanks for having me. This is great. So let's talk a little bit about where did you grow up? How did you end up in publishing to start with? So people can understand a little bit of who you are. I grew up first part of my life in New York City And then when my parents finally gave in to the fact that they couldn't have two children in a two-bedroom apartment on the Upper East 
side, learned about this place called New Jersey with trees, and we moved there. So I mostly grew up in New Jersey, um, in the suburbs, and it was a wonderful small little town in North New Jersey, Um, but close enough to stay in and out of the city often, and I think that really helped my interest and passion and everything creative that happens in New York. My dad would drive me into the city all the time to go to art museums or photography museums. So I've always had that kind of creative juice flowing. And then I went to college in New Jersey. I went to Rutgers University, and that was really fortuitous because my senior year, I basically spent interning in New York City in publishing. The reason I did that is I studied abroad in Paris the summer before my senior year. I was a dual English and French major. One day in French class, they passed around a flyer, and it said, do you want to study in Paris this summer? And of course, I said yes. And so that really fueled my fire for uh, fashion, actually. And that's where I started in publishing was in fashion journalism. When I came home after that summer in Paris, all I wanted to do was work in fashion. So I set my mind to it and spent my senior year interning at fashion magazines and convinced my professors to let me do independent studies where I could get credit for it. Um, So that was a great that was a great opportunity because by the time I had graduated college, I had already had two strong work experiences. And that's really how I started. It was just something about the Parisian lifestyle that I said, I really want to work in fashion. And then I've always been a writer. I've always loved words. So I just put the two together and ended up in New York City. What were the magazines you worked at? I didn't see those on your resume there. Oh, yeah. I probably took them off since they were internships so long ago. Um, I started at Elle Magazine, um, and I worked in the features department as an assistant um, to the assistant to the assistant of the features department. And then my um, second semester of my senior year, I worked at Harper's Bazaar in the fashion department. God, we had parallel lives. You have no (laughs) idea. That's so weird. I mean, I wanted to be a writer. I went to, I didn't end up in Paris. I ended up in Strasbourg. I tried to get a job in Paris out of school at L and they laughed me out of the Parisian office. They were like, why would we hire an American? (laughs) (laughs) And um, that's so hilarious. And Harper's Bazaar was one of my first jobs after I, after Women's Wear Daily. Isn't that funny? Oh, wow. Yeah, that was a great time. That was late 90s. And I feel like publishing was very exciting at the time. Things were really new. Technology was starting to infiltrate a little bit and it was exciting. And then actually because of my connections at Elle Magazine, I I got my first, I actually ended up getting a third internship at InStyle Magazine for the summer after graduation. And then after that, I got my first real job at Mirabella, which is sadly no longer, but that was a sister magazine to Elle. And so I worked, I was the assistant to the fashion director, and that was my first real job um, after college. God, this is really memory lane. I did not know all of that in your history. Oh my God. We Mirabella. probably crossed each other in the oh, elevator. I'm sure we did. Hall. I'm sure we did. I mean, you know, I worked for Grace Mirabello and she was still running Vogue. So that was my oh. first magazine job. And um, she totally terrified me um, when I met oh. her. I wasn't even hired by you. They didn't meet you in those days with you unless you were so low as a copywriter. And uh, I had to go into her office to take notes one time. And she she was like, Oz, she just terrified me. And Aww. I remember barely being able to hold the pen because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> 
writing and shaking at the same time. So how did you end up, so you were in the fashion area, so then how did you move over into food? I gradually, well, after Mirabella, I got the internet digital bug because it was right around the time when everyone was starting to learn how to do everything online. And so I moved into digital and I worked at a standalone um, website, a portal, what back in the days when there were portals. And it was a it was called fashionmall.com and it was a portal. So it was a virtual shopping mall. And this was a long time ago. So it was a way into different websites like the Gap or Ann Taylor. And I was learning the back end while I was on board. I didn't take any kind of computer science class in college. I was too focused on English and French. And then from there, I kind of just segued into different opportunities that combined both magazine and digital. I found that was my sweet spot. I loved working in journalism, but I... I loved the speed and the immediacy and the feedback of the digital space. So I just kind of moved around in mostly in fashion for a first few years, but then I ended up moving into um, going over to Martha Stewart. And that's when I expanded my genres of lifestyle content since that company covers like fashion sort of, but more like decoration and home design, crafting, gardening, food, everything like that. And so that's really when I started to work in that space. But I'd always had a bug for food. I've always loved it. I grew up baking with my mom and cooking with my dad. My dad and I would make homemade pasta together, even back when we lived in New York City in our tiny apartment. And we would let it dry over the radiators and crazy things like that. I have very creative parents. So that was also a good you know, fuel of to all of this. And then from Martha Stewart, I just stayed in that lifestyle genre, expanding into all of those facets from home design, cooking, decoration, et cetera, but really always loved the food. And so now you're, so, so you left publishing how long ago and, and were you segueing at the same time? Did you start doing freelance stuff on the side or was it a clean break or a downsizing or what happened? It was a very clean break, um, which I didn't think would be the way it happened. But after I worked at Martha Stewart for a few years and then moved over to the Food Network and worked there for six years. So that's when I started to expand into video um, publishing and um, really get that sort of bug. I moved to London with them to help launch the Food Network in the UK. Then I moved to San Francisco to work with a video startup that the company acquired and build a video platform for them. So I was really getting actually more and more into the digital and tech side of the business than I was on the editorial creative publishing side. And I was starting to miss it. So there was always this like seed growing in the back of my head. And when I lived in London, I was working with someone who owned a cookbook store in Notting Hill called Books for Cooks. It was an amazing bookstore in Notting Hill. I didn't I lived right near Notting Hill, so I would go all the time. And I talked to the owner a lot, but they had a cafe in the back of the bookstore. It was a brilliant idea where they cooked recipes from different books every day and served them to guests. And that definitely helped people buy the cookbooks because they could taste what was in the book. One day I was speaking to the woman cooking and she told me she had just come back from this fabulous culinary school on the coast of Ireland called Ballymaloo. 
And so we sat there talking for I don't know how long. And from that day forward, I said, one day I will go to Ireland and live on this farm and learn to cook for real, not just, you know, playing around in my kitchen. But I never could find the time to bring it in. I had thought about taking a sabbatical. I had thought about taking a couple months off and taking some leave. But as you know, publishing is so fast paced, you don't have any time to breathe, let alone take three months off to move to Ireland. So it just kind of kept growing. That seed kept growing in the back of my head. And I reached a point um, where the company had shifted um, management at the top and they had changed directions. And um, the plan was for me to go back to New York after living in San Francisco and building this video platform. And I said, I don't, I don't want to go back and keep doing this. I want to go to Ireland. And so that's when I made the clean break instead of saying, let me try to fit this into my life and do it on the side. And in retrospect, I think that was the best way to go because when I packed up and landed in Ireland, I had no other cares in the world and I could just focus on what I was doing. And the challenge was to not worry about what I would do next and just really be in the moment. But I think I was so tired and so drained from all of those years working such fast paced jobs and lifestyles and moving all around the world that I just really needed to come back to the roots and live on a farm and plant vegetables and milk cows and make butter and cheese and really like go the other direction. I sometimes call myself a city mouse and a country mouse. And so I really needed to get in touch with my country mouse side. And that was the break. How did you make enough money to support yourself? And how old were you? And did you have any family responsibilities at that point? I didn't. I didn't have any family responsibilities. I hadn't even met my husband. Um, but in a weird side fate, I don't think I would have met my husband if I didn't do this because he had just landed in San Francisco almost exactly when I got back from Ireland. So if I had chosen to go back to New York before doing any of this, we would never, we would have been like two ships just missing each other. So I was single and that's definitely helpful. I had no family responsibilities. I was renting an apartment. I didn't own anything. So I sublet it for the time that I was gone. And I had been saving up. I'd been putting parts of my bonuses and my checks aside to pay for the tuition. I knew I would always do this. I, well, I had hoped I would always do this. So I was planning for it for, I would say maybe a couple, like six months or so, I was putting money away. And then um, saying, you know, I don't have many expenses over there because I have paid the tuition. I've saved the tuition. So if I sublet my apartment in San Francisco, I don't really have many expenses back at home. And then I can kind of be a little nomadic for a bit because I'm covering both bases. And then how did you segue back into business? That was interesting. Um, because I had been at a vice president level for so long, there were a lot of phone calls waiting for me when I got back to San Francisco from recruiters, et cetera. And I really, in my gut, I did not want to do that right away. I couldn't think about sitting in another office building, making more PowerPoints and keynote presentations, worrying about, you know, KPIs and all the other stuff. It just was so, I had been so out of it for a few months. I actually traveled for about a month and a half after school ended. So the program was three months, a very intense three months on the farm where you really learn a lot. And then I spent another month in Europe 
visiting friends and traveling all around to Rome and Paris and London and all the other amazing cities I love. And then I went to Mexico to do yoga in the jungle for a little bit to really decompress from it all. And I got back to San Francisco and all I wanted to do was bake bread. That was my single focus. I had learned about sourdough on the farm. I had never made it before. I got really into the fermentation aspects of it and the natural yeast and everything. So I um, would get connected with a sourdough bakery in San Francisco and did what they call a stage, which is basically an apprenticeship at their bakery to really learn the ins and outs of working in a bakery. At that point, I thought maybe I would just work in a bakery or in some aspect like that, but I didn't know. The hardest part was to not listen to all the phone calls of, we have this job, da, 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 because it really was very tempting to say, oh, what is that salary and what is it? But I knew in my gut, I just had to follow my gut that I wasn't ready for that yet. And maybe I would be in a few months or who knows, but at that point it wasn't, I wasn't going to do a good job because I knew I was, my heart wasn't really in it. So I really just had to follow my gut instinct and say, let me do, see how this bread stuff goes. And what also ended up working out well from the financial side of things is that some of my former contacts in my old life, as I call it, needed freelance help. And they were working at companies or content agencies, and they just basically wanted to use my brain power on a project by project basis. So that worked out well. I didn't, that was sort of um, organic. It, I didn't really think about the money. I, I think I was such in a fog that I wasn't really thinking about how am I going to keep paying my rent after this. But luckily that happened. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll just do both for a while. And so I was, I was working in a bakery. I woke up at 2 a.m. every morning, got to the bakery at 3 a.m., baked until noon or 1 p.m., went to yoga at lunch, and then went home and worked on proposals and RFPs and got on conference calls. And it was, that was okay because it was fueling my passion. It was a direct line to say, okay, if you do this, you can continue baking bread. And that's all I wanted to do was bake bread. So I did that for months. Um, I worked on the side doing what I used to do, which is basically digital content strategy. So brands who have a digital presence would come to me for ideas about either how to build it, expand it, grow it, reach a new audience, et cetera. So it was very much in line with, with what I had been doing in my old life, but I also got to try out my new life. And now you just do your... Uh, your new life is that correct or what <laughs> that is um, I it was a little bit of a transition and I think it pretty it's pretty much always is I don't think I can really say that I am closing any doors to anything but as time has gone on I've closed doors a little bit more on one side and opened them bit more on my new life side. So what happened was I ended up transitioning out of the bakery because that lifestyle wasn't really sustainable for me, especially at my my age. A lot of the people I worked with when were in their early 20s and it just was apparent that I was not. And waking up at 2 a.m. every morning and doing that was a little bit hard while I was also then working a second job from, you know, about 1 or 2 p.m. until 8, 8 or 9 when I went to bed. I also had no life. <laughs> so there was that piece of, oh, maybe I should think about this if I want to have a family and 
um, expand that aspect of things. So what happened was I basically sort of transitioned out of the bakery and then just kept doing the consulting work for digital content strategy. And that felt good to me because it, I wasn't committing to any one place. I wasn't signing up for, I'm going to be working at this company for the rest of time, et cetera. And I also got to change projects a lot and put my brain to new things, which is what I've realized through all of this is that my brain likes to play around with new things. It doesn't like to sit still for too long. So that was a great opportunity for me. And I pretty much kept doing that until um, one day a friend called and said, hey, you bake great pies and I need someone to help me bake pies for this photo shoot I'm food styling. And there were all these words I never heard before, like food styling, what? And, she, and I said, what do I need to do? And she said, you just need to show up and help me bake pies and I will pay you. And I said, what? This sounds amazing. Okay. So that was my intro into the cookbook side of things and a whole different part of food I didn't even know existed because from school, I really had just focused on bread and there were other things I was exposed to. I just really wasn't looking at them. So this was a great opportunity to learn about a whole area of the industry I didn't know about. And it was a photo shoot for a cookbook she was writing. And we were on a photo shoot set where I just helped her bake pies for a couple of days and got paid for it and realized that this could be an interesting avenue for me. And what happened was from there, I met somebody who needed editorial help in their cookbook office and I had editorial background experience. So it kind of, I went a little bit full circle back to where I started back into publishing this time, just in book publishing, not magazines. Um, but utilized a lot of the skills that I had worked on for so many years, which also felt good to me. So it didn't feel like I had really just thrown all of that experience out the window and was going a complete 180. It felt nice to bring that back into the fold. And from there, I just kind of got sucked in and really loved cookbook publishing. And I was editing cookbooks, I was working on photo shoots, I was food styling a little bit. And then I started to write, I was asked to write a book one day, my publisher asked me, and I took the plunge, and then I haven't really looked back, and I just finished writing my fourth cookbook. So now I'm really doing my own thing on that side of things, but every once in a while, I flirt around with the idea of continuing to do other projects. There just hasn't been enough time to really think about it or take anything else on. Since I started the cookbook path, I've really much been just doing that full-time. And what are your... So your areas I see are Instapot. What else are you, do you, is that your main, your main squeeze of area? That's my main squeeze of okay. um, authoring cookbooks, but okay. I have ghostwritten a few kids cookbooks. One of my other passions is teaching children how to cook and about um, where the food comes from and learning about different fruits and vegetables and how they taste great and how you can use them. So just really my, I think my really pet project always deep down in my heart is, is helping children feel more empowered and excited in the kitchen. So they make more of their own food and make better choices as they grow up in terms of food. Hopefully one day helping to lower the obesity rate, not just for childhood obesity, but just in general and helping their health, et cetera. So that's been something that I've always been interested in. I um, joined the board of directors for a nonprofit while I was living in San Francisco that t taught kids how to cook and all about food and farming and food sustainability. And it was an amazing place to do that since we had access to farms 
and great produce and the kids could, we take the kids on field trips to farms and they would pick things and then we would go into the farm kitchen and cook with them. And I just love that. And that brought in my farm roots from school. But my main authoring right now has been Instant Pot, mostly because it's just still around and kicking. It's one of those things that just keeps getting better and more ideas and more interest. So that's been my main authoring topic. But I also do baking. I still do bread. Um, Through this pandemic, I've gotten even more into bread. But because of the whole yeast, we can't find yeast um, time. But also always baking and then kids cooking and baking. So those are my three areas, Instant Pot, kids, and baking. When you did our um, our one cooking event, which was really terrific, it, it even though I'm a huge eater of sourdough, it became very clear to me that it was like having a child. And I'm past <laughs> that point of having to worry about how my mother is doing, who's going to babysit it while I take a vacation. And, you know, is it dying? It's like a Tamagotchi. I was like, oh, my God. I would have to walk babies. I was like, okay, no, I'm just going to walk to the store like five blocks away every other day and buy my sourdough bread. But it was really, really fun. And if people want to, it sounds like most of your transitions were fairly organic, but you kind of flipped the way that a lot of people say to do things, which is they say, start doing your thing on the side if you have a corporate job. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of flipped it over and you were actually doing the corporate part of it during, you know, that was supporting the other thing. I mean, I don't think that was conscious. I'm guessing that just sort of happened. Is that right? Definitely not conscious. I think the main thing for me was that I really wasn't thinking too much about a plan, which is so unlike me. I am a classic type A, everything needs to be in place. Let me think about the future. Let me think five steps ahead. Where is this going to take me, et cetera. And I think that I had just reached a point when I knew I needed to do it, where in the, when I was planting that seed, I knew I wanted to do it, but then I got to a point where I knew I needed to do it because I was just not feeling good about what I was currently doing. And there was nothing wrong with what I was currently doing. I was working in an amazing company with amazing people on amazing products. And it was more me, it was internal. So I think it could definitely work if your side hustle, as they call it, can fit into your day-to-day life. But I think for me and where my head was and my head space specifically was, I needed that clean break because I really needed to just explore something that was kind of burning inside of me. And a lot of it was more about a reboot, a creative reboot, than it was about learning to cook. I knew going into cooking school, I wasn't going to work in a restaurant. I wasn't going to open a restaurant. This is just not really where I fit. Some people wake up one day and say, this is all they want to do is work in a restaurant and move up that ladder, et cetera. And I knew that wasn't for me, but I So I was really utilizing it as a creative reboot. And it was just something that was there in front of me because I had met that woman years before and I had thought about it and it all seemed fabulous. But I think that I, the best thing I did in retrospect was not have a plan because I felt, I feel like now looking back, I probably wouldn't have taken and done the things I did that organically led me to where I am today if I had thought too much about it ahead of time. I just sort of let things be. Financially, because I had been saving for quite a few months, I didn't feel that pressure. And I think that's huge. 
So even if you're not doing your side hustle while you're working at your current, doing your current thing, if you can be saving, I think that would be, is really helpful because it gives you that financial freedom to take the risks. If I didn't have that, I might have answered some calls from recruiters when I got back to San Francisco and ended up back into a, a full-time job right away or pretty quickly because I would have been financially driven to. So I think that was the best thing I could do was just know to save ahead to have some cushion and some wiggle room for me to just basically take some risks and explore some ideas and see what happens and know that at any point along the way, it was my choice to say, I don't want to work at the bakery anymore, or I don't want to take another freelance project, or I don't want to live in San Francisco anymore and I will move somewhere else or back to New York. So I think that was the other piece of it is that this was, I was driving the car and so wherever I wanted to go and whatever I wanted to do, it was up to me. And I think that was one of the things that I had gotten to in corporate life where I felt like I wasn't. I was on someone else's. I was a passenger in someone else's car. I wasn't driving my own car. And by that point in my career, I felt ready to drive my own car, as cliche as it sounds. But I was in my late 30s and I had a lot of experience and I had proven myself um, in that space. So I felt confident and comfortable that that I, whether or not I was going to stay in that space, I had built up that confidence to know about a lot about myself and what I was capable of. And that's pretty scary when you're young like that. I mean, I don't know that I would have had the guts to walk away from a paycheck. <laughs> I mean, that's really scary stuff. That's pretty, I mean, were you always, that's kind of risk-taking. Like, were you a risk-taker as a teenager or a kid or? Um, I was more, I don't know if I would describe myself as a risk taker, but I was a very like open, I was very open to opportunities. I definitely got that bug from my mom. My mom emigrated from Germany when she was 21. She basically got on a boat, said, wow. I'm done with Germany. There's this place called New York where I can be an au pair. She had a connection where she could be an au pair for a family in New York. She got on a boat and never looked back. And so that's definitely risky, but I think the way my mom had always described it, it was that she just knew Germany wasn't the right fit for her. She lived, she grew up during World War II. It didn't feel good to her and she was ready for something new. And so I think that instead of, I don't really look at myself as a risk taker. I might be, I think I'm just open to things and I don't, some people might have the tendency to have a new opportunity and immediately start thinking about all the cons where I think about all the pros and the opportunities. And then eventually I look at the cons and I just need to, for me, I just need to feel good enough that if any of those negative side effects happen, I can pick up and move on. If any of them are so dire or scary, then maybe that's not the right opportunity for me. But I focus more on where can this bring me? What is this, you know, how, how do I feel about this on the positive aspect? And then just think about the, the other side of it and make sure I'm okay with what might happen and I think that's how I always was, even in my corporate life. When I worked at Martha Stewart, I kind of quickly moved up the ladder, as they say, into roles that I didn't even think about, but I took the plunge and learned new territory and explored new areas. When I worked over with Food Network, I was often asked, like I mentioned, to move to London and help build this business, move to San Francisco and help build that business. And I, I always said yes. <laughs> If it felt right, I said yes. I didn't think too much about 
oh, well, if I leave New York, do I ever go back? And all of those things. I just said, San Francisco sounds wonderful. I would love to live there, learn about the tech industry there and try something new. And I think that helped me in my new life was I'd always had that openness to opportunities um, and just enough risk. But also I think when you start in publishing, I don't know if you feel the same way. It's, it's such a grueling industry, when, especially when you're right out, if, when you're brand new into it, you don't make much money, you work long hours. I think that really prepared me for anything that could come my way. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, it, I didn't have like a cushy bank job that some of my college friends got right out of school where they were making a nice salary and bonus right out of the gate. I mean, I was eating baked potatoes for dinner and, you know, rationing things. And um, I remember- Cup of noodles. Noodles, cup of noodles. I would make the takeout delivery last like three meals. Yes, (laughs) Um, did it too. So you really get scrappy. And I think that that's really prepared me for not worrying about what could happen because I felt like I- I could face it. I, I had faced it. I remember the day I had 67 cents in my bank account because I, because I left a job and didn't know that your last check was live and it wasn't direct deposit. So I thought there was money in my bank that there wasn't. It was coming to me in the mail. You know, you get to that point when you have 67 cents and you're like, wow, I came back from that. And I also, I also was laid off from an internet job the month before September 11th. So August of 2001, my internet company I was working for laid everybody off and I didn't have a job and then the world changed and I lived in New York City at the time. And so that was another experience that you, you live and you learn and you deal and you're in it and you figure it out. And so I think I've just taken all of those experiences and it's either consciously or subconsciously reminded me that I can, I can work through things and get through things. So in closing, Alexis, if you had to give people two concrete tips about doing what you did, Mm. your best girlfriend, that you're saying, don't do this or absolutely (laughs) do this, or what do you think the, the keys were to making it work for you? The first one I would say is say yes. So following back to my, you know, open to opportunities, there are still, and there were a lot of things that really were scary for me to go on a food styling set and just show up to make pies, having no idea what to do, to be asked to write a cookbook, having never done it before and to do it, um, to go to a bakery and work with people who had way more experience than I did. But I always said, yes, I find that the strength comes from the process. So there's there will be all these new opportunities. If your gut says yes, say yes. I mean, obviously, if it's not the right you know, decision for some concrete reasons, you know, not to everything. But if you can see a side of things where you could see something coming out of it for good, say yes to it. It's scary. It's so scary. But that's where you build your strength and you build more confidence. And then you can bring that into the next role and to the next project and to the next opportunity. Because if you don't say yes ever, you're never going to build that that strength and that confidence and build that, you know, strength where you're just learning on, on the job. I think I was lucky to have some jobs early on in my career where I had to learn on the job. I just took the jobs because I needed a job and it sounded interesting. And then I just showed up and I said, okay, what do I do? And had to learn. So you don't, you don't really ever know what you're doing before you get into something all the time. And I think that that's a key. 
and thing to think about. And the other thing um, is really to leverage your connections and to tell people what you're doing. I think that especially now it's a lot easier with all the social media channels we have at our fingertips. Back in the day when I was in my old life, we didn't have all of those tools. But now it's really amazing that we can post something on Instagram to say, like I did, you know, I'm doing this baking class for Coffee Club, come join me. And it really, it might not have any immediate impact, but then maybe a couple weeks or months or years down the road, someone will say, hey, I remember you bake sourdough. Can I hire you to blank? And that literally just happened to me a couple weeks ago. Someone I worked with 14 years ago reached out. We'd kept in touch this whole time here and there with a project. So you really never know. I think the best thing to do is just keep in touch with people. Um, remember that they're in your circle. Build your circle. See who knows who. If you see but somebody interesting on LinkedIn that has a connection to somebody. I mean, this sounds like people have said it before, but I truly believe if you just keep talking to people, you never know. If someone says, hey, you should talk to that person, talk to that person. And even if you walk away with no idea what might happen, that's totally fine because now they're in your circle. And when you tell people what you're doing, it'll come back around one day. You know, People reach out to you and say, hey, how about you do this for me? Or can you help me with this? And that's how those organic opportunities come. Awesome. Well, saying yes, absolutely. And someday I'll tell you the story about saying yes as a copywriter at Vogue when my boss came in and said, would you write the car column? And I didn't even drive. And I turned to her and I said, (laughs) funny, you caught me on the day I started my driving lessons. And she looked at me and she walked out and I actually learned to drive from Vogue, they actually picked up <laughs> my driver's head because I was like, okay, I can write. I can figure this out. It was hilarious. So yes, maybe it's just a spirit of, and you sound so much like me. It's hilarious. Maybe we are just all drawn to that crazy business because it was always changing. So mm-hmm. anyway, thank you so much, Alexis. What a great conversation and great tips and tricks. And I know we're going to do something else with you at Covey Club. This is just the beginning. I have a feeling. So who knows well, what thank it is, you. but we will figure it out. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. This was really exciting. Thanks for having me. So thank you, everybody, for joining us for this conversation on Reinvent Yourself. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alexis Marcel, and I hope you'll join us at Covey in some of our webinars. We're definitely going to bring Alexis back to do some cooking events with us. Her uh, sourdough bread event, Coffee and Conversation with us, was fantastic, a lot of fun. And as I say, it taught me I don't have to make sourdough bread. It's too hard. Um, But I love to bake bread, so it was still fantastic. Um, And I hope that if you like it, you'll subscribe. And also, if you know anybody else who is trying to figure out what they're going to do next, where they're headed, what their heart desire is, I hope you'll turn them on to reinvent yourself because we certainly give everybody that information. We give you the inspiration, we give you the techniques, and we give you the strategies. So 
join us. And I hope you'll also pop on over to thecoveyclub.com, see all our great content that we put out there. We have videos, we have written content, we have our listings of our webinars, which you can find under the attend button. And come join us. Come be a member. It is a group of warm, smart, interesting, giving women who want to support you as you find what you're going to do and you can help support them as they find what they're going to do. So until next time, this is Leslie Jane Seymour. See you then.